Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Secrets of the Sire. We do this every Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, talkradio.nyc, and streaming live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and everywhere podcasts are downloaded. I'm your host, Michael Dolce. We are going to be talking about Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, giving you our review. Is it the best Spider-Man film of all time, and where does it rank with all the rest? Plus, I have Francois from Young the Giant uh, coming on, doing an interview as well. Uh, as always, like I said, my name is Michael Dolce, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host in Parts Unknown, Mr. Hassan Godwin. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fine here in the uh, Sire Bunker. You're in the bunker? Uh, yeah, we're in the, the, the undisclosed location, the, the Christmas location. We're at the, we're at the Christmas uh, getaway. You're in the Christmas getaway? That's yeah, some, we're that's the some, Christmas getaway. That's some crazy, <laughs> crazy stuff here. All right, Christmas getaway, Hassan. Uh, shining through. All right, Spider-Man Into Spider-Verse. Uh, it's it's making money. I don't know. You know, it's funny. We had kind of talked on a previous show about how it wasn't quite tracking. However, it is kind of tracking. Uh, and and people, the industry is saying it's good. Thirty-five million. They're saying this is this is a good thing. Um, in the opening weekend, and people are getting. Yeah, it, it was tracking to make about thirty million, and then you know some of the, as I said before, some of the punditry. Some of the YouTube punditry was like, well, it's only going to make $30 million. Um, and uh, that's that's pretty bad for a Spider-Man movie. But it's an animated movie. It's an animated so. movie, though, so I don't I don't see why they would think that's such a bad thing. Like, you know, why does why does that all of a sudden dictate, you know, just because it's animated? Now... I don't know, because it's a problem, and they love, the internet loves a problem. Well, sure, who doesn't love a problem? Who doesn't love and a good problem? And it was like, what, 90... Had a 90% on uh, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. So, of course, there is no problem with it. Sure. So, they had to find a problem, and the problem is, is uh, you know, it's an animated movie that's only tracking to make $30 million, and so it's made $35 million. So, But, I mean, I've, I've never seen such a concerted effort amongst um, reviewers to, to give this movie high, you know, like uh, like high praise. Like, everybody I've... Who's, So you know that's the funny part about that, right? So I have my I have my thoughts on this, right? Um, okay. When I was, you know, in the 1990s, we always had this debate oh. amongst my friends. Reminiscing. What's a better show, Seinfeld or The Simpsons? And we're talking about The Simpsons at the height of being The Simpsons here. And I always felt wow. like The Simpsons had an unfair advantage over Seinfeld, and I would always give the nod to Seinfeld because. Seinfeld's live action, so to come up with that kind of writing and to be that clever and good, you know, to me, kind of gave it a little bit of an advantage. Whereas The Simpsons, don't get me wrong, and this is before they lasted 28,000 seasons and, you know, went through different iterations. We're talking about the Conan O'Brien years. We're talking about all that stuff. Um, you know, monorail episodes. You know, you can't do a monorail episode uh, with Seinfeld and get the same kind of laughs. Uh, because you can stretch the truth, you know. You can't do, uh, you know, Stampy the Elephant on Seinfeld. You can't do uh, a lot of the stuff that they did, which allows you to do an animation. And how do I? What does it have to do with Spider Verse? It has to do with the fact that I think people are saying it's the best Spider-Man film ever. It's like, well, look at what they can do. There's no. Yes, it was a hundred million dollar budget, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's an animated film. Like there are no um, boundaries to what it can do. Now, that being said, I think this is a great Seinfeld versus uh, Spider uh, Seinfeld versus Simpsons debates because I think Spider Verse is as well written a movie and takes advantage of all the stuff that they can do uh, better than you know most live action movies. So at at its core, it has tremendous writing, it has tremendous character development. What I love about animated movies too, it seems to hit all the right beats. Um, and this is true with a lot of uh, a lot of animated movies, like the Invinci you know, the uh, the Incredibles, and um, you know, movies uh, movies in that vein, where it's like, man, if they could just write like this for live action. Now, obviously, some of the extra stuff, you know, the Spider Sense, the the two D animation, the three D animation, the uh, you know, having comic book bubbles and balloons. Although, to be honest with you, you can sort of do that in live action now too. You can do combinations. Um, 
you know, those those to me are bells and whistles. I think at the core, this is a very well written story. But that, you know, that's that's the core of every good movie. You know, that's the problem. The animation, a lot of times, animation has a start with the story, and uh, animation has a follow through with the story, and then they get the actors to come in, and they, they, the actors follow the the animation a lot of times. The way it's done is they, um, uh, well, it can be done in two ways. The actors come in and act first. And they do the story first, and then they do the animation to the action to the action of the voices. Mm-hmm. Or it does it goes the other way around. Either way, that you you have a through line of yeah. story without a lot of gimmickry. Mm-hmm. And I mean, all your gimmick is going to be in the in the the in the hijinks of whatever the animation is. Yeah. So you're not gonna, you know you're not playing for you're all in the, in the in the design stage in the in the writing. You're already getting out your. You know, wouldn't this be cool if moments, which can ruin a lot of movies. Yeah. This, you know, this will be cool, you know, as opposed to this is how the story wants to go. Yeah. So, I mean, look, this this animation took two years to do. I mean, the movie took a long time to put together. Mm-hmm. It cost $90 million to do it because of the way they were innovative with the animation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's just as, I mean, it, it I don't think it took that long to do, to film Infinity Wars. Right. It didn't take that long to film uh, Black Panther. So, um, whereas animation has an advantage because they can get away with a lot of stuff. That sure. You just can't. And I mean, what I mean when I get away with because the CGI is uh, CGI is to such a to such a level mm-hmm. that you could pretty much do everything live action that you can do in a cartoon, mm-hmm. almost everything. Mm-hmm. But I mean, because it's a cartoon, we we allow for more uh, implausible. Stupidity. But that's what I'm talking about, right? That's exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, The Simpsons, you can have a monorail going around and around and around and around in a circle, um, and Leonard Nimoy and and throw and Homer throwing like you know a, a giant like A out the window or or whatever it was giant M out the window right. and and tearing up Springfield. You know, you can do all that because there is no budget. You know, so there, so right. I feel like as if as if there's a just a greater latitude for pulling things off where you know live action can't. Um, and to me, that's why I'll always give the nod to a live-action film uh, over an animated film when they talk about this is the best this or that. Um, now, we are going to, um, you know, today, we are going to go through the Spider-Man films. I want to rank them. We don't have to go into depth into all of them because I think things like Spider-Man 3 or Amazing Spider-Man 2 are going to fall below. I and mean, we could have a great argument as to as to which one's worse, <laughs> but but we don't need to necessarily dive into it. But I'm I'm really... Curious in terms of just at at its core, who's got the best Peter Parker? Who's got the best Spider Man? Who's got the best uh, action? Um, who's got the best quippiness too and humor? And I think that's an important element to Spider Man that I think this movie captures uh, in a way much of the live action movies didn't capture. Um, there, there's a certain criteria for ranking all this stuff, um, but at the same time, again. You know, I, I do definitely feel there's, you know, animation has an unfair advantage when everyone's like, well, it's the best Spider-Man movie ever. It's the, well, it's the, let's let's slow your roll here. Let's let's really dive deep. I mean, in this movie also, just from a writing standpoint, I think I'm going to give it, you know, if you're giving it a grade, I'm giving it like an A- minus overall. So, I mean, we're talking high grades for this film, but not necessarily am I going to go, I'm not going nuts saying this is the best one ever, um, the villains the villains kind of um, lent itself to you kind of knowing Spider-Man before he came in. You know, I think, I think uh, you know, my dad has no reference to, you know, who's that big, that big fat guy who's beating people up? I was like, that's the Kingpin. Oh, that's, that's the Kingpin? Like, he knows the name but doesn't know the character enough. Um... So there's there's like nods to like Doc Ock. There's nods to I mean not just nods. I mean these these characters are in there. You know, revamped Scorpion, um, Tombstone, which I love seeing. You know, there's little things that as a fanboy I enjoyed. But did we really get a development of the villains in this movie um, any better than we did in the live action uh, Spider Man? Or did I did the live action Spider Man's actually do I think a better job in some cases? I'm thinking Spider Man Two in particular of giving us better villains? Uh, no. Um, yeah, not, you're not really going to top Spider-Man 2. 
as you know, and the fact that it's a live action movie is uh, is also uh, you know a, a, a feather in his cap. The origin of sure. uh, Doc Ock and just that movie in general. It's a, it's a, it's really a well done film. Mm-hmm. It's what convinced me about the Spider Man movies because I didn't like the first Spider Man. Yeah, I didn't love it. I loved it at the time because it was it was like a dream come true to see Spider Man on screen. Um, but I did not I did not love Yeah. You know I was never with Toby Maguire in that first movie because it was a lot of gimmicky yeah. and it was a lot of like it, it you know, Sam Raimi trying to find out what the true voice of Spider Man is. Yeah. And I don't think he found it out until the second one. You know, and I really didn't like Willem Dafoe as as the Green Goblin. I thought that mask. I thought everything was just really kind of hokey. I thought, which was really ironic because it's a Marvel movie. Yeah. I thought it was trying too hard to be Batman, to be a Batman movie. Yeah. Especially with the um, with the uh, Danny Elfman soundtrack. I mean, you can really argue that Amazing Spider-Man was trying too hard to be the Chris- the uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman's too. I mean, actually, there's not really much of an argument. They were really trying it's, to be the yeah, Christopher Nolan Batman's. You know. But I think Spider-Man 2 just really found, it, it really set the tone for the MCU, mm-hmm. even though it would come like 10 years later. It really yeah. set, it really found its own voice, it found its own rhythm, it, it was audacious, it did things like, you know, there's never, there's no elevated train system in, in Manhattan. Right. And they were like, yeah, we don't, we don't care, we just want an elevated train system for Spider-Man. And, you know, there's, uh, I mean... Everybody found out who Peter Parker was, you know, that Peter Parker was Spider-Man. I mean, he lost his mask a whole bunch of times, and it just didn't matter. It was just yeah. such a well-done story. It didn't matter. And Alfred Molina is just, you know, is, he, is, he is the equivalent of, uh, yeah. of Heath Ledger, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. He's like, he hasn't been topped as a villain, as a comic book villain sure. for the Marvel Universe. Sure. Um, I agree. However, um, I don't think it was necessary for... Um, for Into the Spider-Verse. I think the point of Into the Spider-Verse was that this this universe was a world that was already established and already taking place. If we're seeing it from Miles Morales' uh, uh, point of view, then everything is... He, we're seeing we're meeting all these characters just as, just as he is. So we still have his point of view mm-hmm. to, to, to guide us, to, to comfort us into, into learning on a curve mm-hmm. like he was doing. Yeah. So it, therefore it didn't require a, a, a pre-established origin for Kingpin. Didn't require a pre-established origin for Doc Ock, you know, no spoilers, but yeah. Doc Ock is in the movie. It didn't require, you know, pre-established. Look at this point, if they haven't seen it, that's their problem, not our problem. No. All right. If you want to take that out too. I always that's do. Fine. Yeah. I know. And I disagree. But anyway, <laughs> cause I always do. Um, but as I'm saying, I don't think I don't think it was important. Also, I mean, how many times have they done? How, how many times has Bruce Wayne lost his parents? <laughs> well, you, it's you the same thing with Uncle Ben, right? Origin. I mean, it's the same thing. How many times you have you seen Uncle Ben on screen? That's what I'm talking about. You just get tired of these origin stories. It's it's, it's good to start Amelia's rest. You know, it's, yeah. it's it's good to start like like in the thick of things because that's exactly what um, Miles Morales would be experiencing. Right. You know, because it's. The whole broad world, especially if you're going to introduce the Spider Verse, you don't have how much time you're going to you know, spend on the little things. Right. You have to establish that there's multiple universes, and you have to establish these, uh, you know, these ten or fifteen other Spider Men, you know, right. Spider People. So I mean, right. I think they they spent their their time uh, wisely. Let me ask you a question. This was this popped up on Twitter. Uh, it was from an IGN editor, and it was a tweet that he uh, he brought out, and I don't have his name because I just thought of it right now. Um, but he said that he polled a couple people, and the things they loved about Spider Verse, uh, one obviously, the, you know, having a, a black Spider Man on screen was was very important to some people, and we kind of we've discussed that issue, and we're not going to discuss that issue, but that was one thing he wrote. The other thing was the mom was speaking in Spanish. And that was very important because the person they were talking to was Latino, so it was great. They thought it was really great. That was one of my biggest gripes of the film because I felt like, and you and I have kind of talked about this when we talk about Miles Morales, Spider-Man. The Morales part of it, the well, even you know, actually the Morales is the, is the father. The Afro-Latino, uh, the book for the most part focused on the Afro, not so much the Latino. Um... I felt like the mom was so underdeveloped in this uh, film, and maybe there wasn't room, and maybe there wasn't time, 
But she has a better character uh, in in the most recent incarnation of of Miles Morales Sp- Spider Man when he when he finally merges with the uh, the six one six universe. Uh, this is really geeky for anybody. <laughs> anybody out there is like, I don't know what that. What did he just say? Um, her character's more developed in the comics later on. Uh, in this film, I don't think they really develop her at all. Um, and I feel like they kind of threw her in speaking Spanish as a, hey, this is to, this is, don't forget, he's half Latino also. I, I, the solution to me, obviously, was I'd like to see her character develop more. Maybe the two of them have more rapport, and you don't have to be so kind of, like, obvious. Like, to me, it was almost pandering. Um, and, and I didn't like that. I, I, I thought it was... I thought it did not do her character justice. Was that a problem for you? Does, is that something you thought was an issue? No. Not at all. No. And maybe it's maybe it's just me, and, and I'm able to see. Well, you know, I mean, look, if we're gonna get into, why is it pandering? She's a Spanish. She's Spanish. He's Spanish. She speaks to him in Spanish. Why would that be? Why would that be pandering? I thought it was like a just a throw in at the end to kind of, not at the end. I thought it was kind of like a throw in versus uh, genuinely developing her culture as part of the film um it was oh hey she's spanish too and it's like no well she is she's latino and there's a and there's a you know there's a whole storyline uh and we talked on twitter about this i actually talked with the ign editor on twitter about this in a in a in a respectful way which then we got blocked from twitter because it's not how you do things on twitter um but they they essentially said like you know you know again my answer to this was not don't have her speak Spanish. My answer to this was, let's see a little more of her character. Let's have her character be a little more important in this film. Um, I think it's very important to have different representation in there. I think it's very important that the Latino side of Miles Morales doesn't kind of get overlooked as it kind of did when when the comic first started. Um, she has a whole sequence in the comics when she's talking to her mom. Um, and she actually brings her mom and she... she uh, you know, the mother is actually kind of influencing her on how she's handling her relationship with Miles because at that time she doesn't know he's Spider-Man. She actually hires, the mom actually hires a private investigator, if I believe it's the mom, to find out what's going on with Miles because he's not doing things at school. And you have this great mom, daughter, um, you know, Latino culture is kind of brought into it in terms of how she's raised. So, and again, I know it's a lot for a film, for a first film, and they have room to do it in the second film. Um... You know, but but that's my answer. My answer was I wish they would have actually just done more with her. Uh, that, that I can understand. I I get I get where you're coming from. I don't I don't I don't think it was necessary. I don't think that they could have fit it in at this point. But I don't understand. What I don't get is the pandering thing. But I don't want to get hung up on that. Yeah. But you know everything that is everything that is ethnocentric. Mm-hmm comes off as pandering, you know, to people. I don't understand No, that. see, and, I, and this is the thing. I actually... but uh, A great idea, though. Nothing about the father, the uncle, uh, you know, nothing about that came off as, 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 as pandering. That came off as fleshed-out characters. It came out as fleshed-out uh, cultural identity, uh, being a part of who the character is, you know, how, you know, his makeup, his upbringing. Like, to me, everything, that felt organic. So... To me, I'm not actually having an issue with the Afrocentric uh, part of the character at all. And I'm not really having a problem with the Latino-centric part of it. I just feel like it was non-existent, and then they kind of threw you a bone with, well, the mom speaks Spanish, so, oh, okay, so he's half Latino, that's great. Um, whereas I, I just don't think they just did enough with it. So so to answer your question, no, I don't think, I, I think there's a way to do it where, it, it again, it's, it's part of the character, it's part of the identity of the character, it's part of the upbringing, it feels organic, it's part of the story, and they did that with the father, with the uncle, um, you know, with him uh, in general. And, and, and so that's, that, that, would, that, that to me was, I think, exactly why it became, it, it stopped me for a second in the, in the movie theater. I'm engrossed in the storyline up until the very point where the mom kind of does that. Because I, I didn't feel like it was, ne- like I feel like they did a lot of it. And, they did, and, and, and to me, they're doing it to kind of, again, they're, they're doing it to just to be like, hey, by the way, and I was like, no, oh, we didn't. We didn't need that. We didn't need that. We, we, you know, maybe find a different way to make it part of it. I don't know. Or maybe just, I don't know. She did it over the top to me a little bit, um, to where it didn't feel natural. I, I feel like, um, 
I feel like if, if they had started having a conversation in Spanish, both of them would have actually felt more organic than her kind of like just dropping in sentences and then interpreting for the audience what she was saying. Because if you didn't speak Spanish, you didn't know. Um, that to me, there you go. I just solved it. That's what they should have done. They should have had a conversation in Spanish. Both of them. Right? Like, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that, like, I, I look, I, I don't have the luxury of a two, uh, um, two language uh, household. But I feel like you if don't you, live in the city, though. Well, so you don't understand Spanglish. And that's all. Well, is well, let me ask you then. Maybe maybe you know English. maybe you know something I don't, and that's good. It's very natural for people to speak in Spanish. One person be speaking in Spanish, the other person to answer in English. But then, but then, let me ask you a question: um, Is it then? Um, uh, if the person speaking in Spanish and then interpreting what they said afterwards. Like if they say like, uh, yeah, you know, necesito, you know, necesito el baño, I need to go use the bathroom. Like they're not, inter you know what I mean? Like that's where, it, that's where it just felt like, oh, it just didn't, it didn't, that didn't feel natural to me. I would feel, I would think like necesito el baño. Okay. Yeah. Go down the hallway and go use the bathroom. You know, like that would be the exchange between the two. All right. We're nitpicking. I get it. We're going to take a short. What do you mean we? <laughs> Well, you're part of the show, so you're you're you're, you're naturally uh, no, no, naturally brought in. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and then we're gonna go to um, our next segment, which is we're gonna rank the Spider-Man films based on a certain criteria. I'm gonna tell you what that criteria is next. Guys, just want to. Let you know that Sire Volume 2 is available right now. It's at mikebooks.com slash store. There's free shipping. Enter code SIREV2, all in uppercase. Um, also, which we've been talking about this for a while now, Mainstream is in stores now. Issue 5 uh, just wrapped. Uh, we've actually got this being shopped around to a number of different studios, which is pretty exciting. Um, and we have it in a particular zombie studio. And I'll leave it at that. And hopefully some big things. But if you want to read it before anything big happens with it, go check it out in the mainstream. All right. We are coming right back. I want to get to ranking the Spider-Man films. All right, here's my criteria for ranking the Spider-Man films. All right, who's got the best Peter Parker? Who's got the best Spider-Man? Who's got the best costume? And who's got the best humor? And then last criteria is going to be who's got the best villain? And we'll throw a bonus one in at the very end if we have enough time. All right. Best Peter Parker of all of all the Spider-Man films. I think Spider-Verse actually makes a case that they have a great Peter Parker, except obviously it's a different Peter Parker in the fact that it's Jake Johnson and he's uh, over the hill, right? The original Peter Parker that we kind of saw, you know, we only got a little glimpse of Peter Parker in this one, and he was blonde, which at least they explained why he was blonde, right? Um... Tobey Maguire, to me, is probably from the Sam Raimi franchise. And we're going we're gonna to group these, by the way. We're going to rank in groups. We're going to go Sam Raimi. We're going to go Andrew Garfield. Or, or you could say Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man films. Andrew Garfield films. Right. Or we're going to say um, the Spider-Verse films. Okay? We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to okay. do it in that, in, in that capacity. We're not going to... Like I said, Spider-Man 3, terrible film. Amazing Spider-Man 2, terrible film. All right, we don't need to we don't need to go in ad nauseum at that, right? Mm -hmm. Who's your best Peter Parker? Tobey Maguire. Why? Um, he was the most sympathetic to me. He was the most he he sold the underdog mm -hmm. a lot better. Um, he was he he, he was slow coming into his own mm -hmm. as a, as a genius. And he kind of captured the awkwardness mm -hmm. of the fact that the genius doesn't 
doesn't always mesh with the real world. Like, mm-hmm. just because you're a genius in, in science doesn't mean that you know how to navigate the, the, the real world. Yeah. Um, and I think I think they just developed his character better. They developed the world of Peter Parker better in the Sam Raimi films. Yeah. Where he was kind of this the ultimate underdog until he was Spider-Man. And, you know, yeah. that, that was really the only thing that made him exceptional. And that was the only thing about him that nobody knew. You know, with the yeah. exception of Mary Jane. Mm-hmm. So that that was that's my favorite. That's my favorite Peter Parker. And before anybody you know jumps at me, there's only been one Miles Morales movie, so we're not looking for the best Miles Morales, obviously. So if you sit there and say, why why is Peter Parker Peter Parker? Well, if you said Peter Parker, yeah. No, no, I'm just saying that's one of the my criteria. Who has the best Peter Parker? Because okay. um, you know, there's only been one Miles Morales film, so we can't really you know we can't go into any right. detail about that. Maybe right. I'm the only one that thought of it, but. I'm just trying to I'm trying to herd the negativity off uh, of before we get anywhere. All right. Who's got the best Spider-Man? Now, this is different than costume. Costume's its own its own thing cuz cuz I think you and I are going to be on the same page as to which has the best costume. But who's got the best Spider-Man? Like when they're in Spider-Man, when they're in the outfit, when they're fighting, when you know the whole presence of Spider-Man which film has the best Spider-Man? Amazing Spider-Man. I'm going to actually Andrew say... Garfield. I'm going to actually say Spider-Verse. I thought the initial sequence with the real... With with the... I guess we'll call him the ultimate Spider-Man because we have lack of a better term. Um, I thought that was perfect Spider-Man. Like, all around. It's just like that, his whole presence. Not the Jake Johnson version either. I'm actually not even talking about that. That's the luxury of this of this film is we get all these different versions of Spider-Man. The, I, I thought he actually, to me, is like, that's Spider-Man. And then again, it made me think again, you know, does, does these, do, or does these films, me fail English? That's impossible. Uh, you know, do these films have a, dis, have more of an advantage in being an animated film? You know, can a live-action film truly cr- capture everything that... Um, that's, that's two different questions, Al. You know? uh, it is. It is. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Because, I mean, like, if, which one is better? It doesn't matter how they achieved it. Okay. It just matters how, how you interpret it. All right. And how you feel about it. All right. That's, it's fair yeah. enough. That's a, that's a fair point. All I right. just don't want to just get caught up in, like, two different and then never end up answering your question. Sure. You know? Sure. Best costume. Uh, I I definitely think Miles Morales' costume in Into the Spider Verse is my favorite. Oh, okay. Oh, you know, you you took it in a different in a different direction actually. Uh, I was gonna. But his costume in Into the Spider Verse is not his comic book costume. No, it's not. Oh, all right. Ah, you threw me for a loop because I actually was was thinking more in terms of the um, tra- traditional Spider-Man costume. As to which oh, movie mean, got the traditional one, but you mean who who got the costume right? Yeah, got the costume more right. Yeah, well, well the yeah. Is they keep changing it. The thing I liked about the Raimi Spider-Man is they got the costume right immediately and yeah. they kept it that way. Yeah, you know, as opposed to like Batman, Batman, we keep changing his costume every every year, being yeah. kind of a gimmick to the point where by the end he was like Iron Man. He yeah, had so much armor on. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like um, Tom Holland's costume I liked it you know I, I liked his original costume the Iron Spider-Man I don't like at all yeah um the new the 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 the, the PS4 Spider-Man that just came out I yeah. don't like that at all yeah um well the, the Tom Holland one is garbage absolute garbage yeah I don't like it Iron Spider I, not garbage the his actual you know I, I don't like the Iron Spider I I, I no okay all right I don't love Iron Spider either but it was at least that's that's a storyline in the canon uh, that at least uh, there has some reference to that you know what I mean like there's something to that extent yeah no I I'm talking it. about I his just it. his traditional Spider-Man costume in Civil War and in uh, Homecoming is absolute garbage Spider-Man Spider-Man one Tobey Maguire they got the costume perfect I thought Amazing Spider-Man two they got it pretty damn good they got but it was a re- it was a repeat. You know, it was just his traditional costume. But it was his eyes. See, they got the eyes. They got the McFarlane eyes that I loved. And I got to give it to them on that. Okay, well, that. Uh, all right. Fair enough. Who's got the best humor? Spider-Man humor. Best quips. Uh, 
again, I gotta say Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man, I think, worked really well. It did. Toby, Toby Maguire was better. Peter Parker. Absolutely. Andrew Garfield came off, came off like too smug and kind of creepy, stalkerish, creepy. Yeah. Um, to me. Oh um, yeah, yeah. And he was fidgeting, and he's like, oh, I'm an actor, and I gotta do something really actory, yeah. and I gotta put this thing. My he, character, he, 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 he's a spider, he so was, he's constantly he twitching. He was never an underdog. He just never got. He was never no. an underdog. No. But his Spider-Man was great. Yeah. Um. And look, I, like I said, one of the greatest comic book scenes ever is when he, he catches that police car on his back. Yeah. In in the Amazing Spider-Man too. That's a that's an amazingly well done uh, piece of uh, of scenery, like yeah. of, of special effects married with uh, live action. It was wonderful. Yeah. Um. I told me why, like as Spider-Man, but he just didn't. They again until they didn't really get his Spider-Man voice right mm-hmm. until about Spider-Man Two. Yeah, and even then, the Garfield Spider-Man just kind of blew it away because that's basically what Spider-Man is. Spider-Man is just—he's a troll. You know, his, his yeah. humor is very troll-like. He's very antagonistic. He's very—he's very belittling yeah. and demeaning mm-hmm. to everybody he's fighting. He's very—you know—everything is a joke to him. And Andrew Garfield got it right. Tom Holland did a good job, but Tom Holland, the, the, the problem with the MCU Spider-Man is they keep playing him off Iron Man and some of the older characters. Yeah. So the gag keeps the gag keeps coming off that he's a kid and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, I you know, agree with that. Making, like awkward pop Ironically, I think Tom like Holland that. is like 2021, 20, so I think that's his voice at this point, you know? <laughs> like, well, I'm not talking about his voice, really. No, but, but the voice, his, no, but see, the voice, armor. the voice plays into it. The voice, his, his uh, young sounding uh, in voice. Your opinion, yeah, I get you. Bleeds into the fact that, uh, that he consistently gets played off as a teenager. Look, it works because he's a, t- he's a teenager. But, uh, that's, there's, there's definitely something to, to that where, um, if he had a, if he had a deeper voice or a more grown up sounding voice. That gag, I think that gag would not be overplayed as it is. Alright. Who's got okay. the best who's got the best supporting cast? Oh boy. Um again. Well, I don't know. This is a tough one, right? We can't really we're not talking about the Legion Spider Verse though, right? I, we're just talking about the No. Because it's not really his supporting cast in Into the Spider Verse. Yeah. That Into the Spider Verse has the best cast of yeah. all of them. But they're all Spider-Men, so he doesn't. They're not really all supporting. Yeah. They're all leads, kind of. Yeah. I would say that the second Spider-Man, Spider-Man, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man Two, has got the best because he's got the best villain. Yeah. He's uh, Mary. Uh, uh, Kristen Dunst is really great as Mary Jane. She's believable as Mary Jane. You buy her as Mary Jane. Um. Uh, the, the 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 like I said, the villains are fine. Aunt May is great. Um. We're, we're past the great power comes great responsibility uh, origin mm-hmm. antics. Yes. Um, I, I, uh, unlike a lot of people, I didn't mind the, the James Frank, James Franco, uh, uh, the slow build to him becoming the Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think I think the second one, I think Spider Man Two has the best ensemble cast. Personally, I was invested in all of them. I I, I- bought all of them. I think it's unique to in Homecoming the fact that they merged Miles Morales's supporting cast with Peter Parker's supporting cast. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I didn't like it. Like, I just, which I just... actually causes issues now if they do eventually. I mean, look, they yeah. can you can write yourself out of anything. You can write yourself out of any situations, uh, but it, it becomes an issue because you definitely. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mesh well, and and I I think it's. It gave its ill will. It mm-hmm. kind of it kind of breeds ill will because if they wanted to go for they, you know a lot of people wanted the the the, the MCU Spider Man to be Miles Morales, right? Yeah. Maybe that was a pipe dream, but a lot of people wanted that. That was a big thing. So it seems like a compromise is to do Peter Parker, but then they gave him Miles Morales's like you know yeah his his background, uh, except for Mary Jane, who they kind of changed, but they basically right. he he got so. So well, uh, I mean, she's not really Mary Jane, so it's she's just MJ. Yeah. So it's not even. So they didn't really make Mary Jane black. They just gave. They just. They just altered that. Yeah. Um. So, but but the thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about that is like, if you don't want to do Miles Morales, you want to do traditional Peter Pan, Peter Parker, 
Or Peter Pan. Did they want to do Peter Pan? Because that would have been a completely uh, ballsy move on their part. They should have done Peter Pan. It should have been Wendy. It all should have been Wendy. (laughs) But um, if you want to do Peter Parker, then do Peter Parker. You know, find another way to do it, but do Peter Parker. Don't just kind of steal from all other facets of, Mm -hmm. you know, and then then just claim that that's the, you know, that's a genuine Peter Parker. Um, Like I said, I like Tom Holland. I think the MCU. I think I think he's a good MCU Spider-Man. Yeah. I think the thing is that because of the nature of how he was introduced and the fact that it's basically Iron Man's universe. Yeah. Because Iron Man was the first to get there, and we see most of the stuff through the eyes of Tony Stark. Yeah. We see it through most of his pathology. Um, he's always going to be subordinate. He's never going to be a character on his own. Yeah, and even in the even in the Tom Holland Spider Man movie, he played a second fiddle to Iron Man. Who yeah, kept coming kept swooping in and kind mm-hmm. of parenting him. Yeah, which was kind of I thought kind of diminished his his uh, his ability to grow as a character on his own. Yeah, my that's my opinion. I liked it, but I think he's always going to be uh, a, a supporting player in the MCU. He's never going to be like a prominent. Yeah. Like, like Captain America is on equal terms with Iron Man. Right. right. The Black Widow is on equal terms with Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Like, these certain Thor equal terms with Iron Man. Yeah. Spider Man is never going to be on equal terms with Iron Man. Right. This is not going to happen. So, it's going to be hard for him to come into his own the way they set him up. No, that makes sense. Real quick, um, before we actually go and, and break every single movie down and just give a give a, a, a total rank, uh, who's got the best villain? I don't think there's any argument on this one. I think Doc Ock, to me, is the yeah. best villain out of all Alfred Molina is, is, is perfect. Alfred Molina, like I said, is the equivalent of uh, uh, Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Like, I liked Heath Ledger's Joker not as the Joker for Batman, but yeah. I think he was a fantastic comic book villain. Yeah. And he, he definitely outshines the Batman yeah. in those movies. Um, and those the other movies that did not have him are, are you can you could feel the, the loss. Yeah. You know, you could you could feel his absence. Yeah, and this is this is exactly why also um, I feel as if the Spider Verse itself, this is where it falls short. We know Kingpin was doing this to somehow bring back his his daughter, his, his wife and his son from another dimension or another reality to reunite. Like we, you, you kind of get it, but you get you, you get a tertiary. You get like it's almost like a sketch and not a and not a play. Versus you know, if you think about it, you get the impression of why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. But in Spider Verse, I just feel like, well, why? If if I'm Tombstone and Doc Ock, and he's gonna destroy the whole world looking for something that doesn't profit them, why are they going along with him? You know, what is is it just because he's the kingpin? Like, there's no real explanation into, into why people are blindly following him. You know, besides the fact that he pays the bills, and yeah, okay, he pays the bills, but if he destroys the whole effing world, bing, then then. Well, what's the point? It's not like Tombstone's going to be profiting off of any of this stuff. So why would he well, do I mean, that? They, I mean, it was questionable whether it would destroy the world. And one of the possibilities is it might destroy the world. Yeah, so if I'm Doc Ock, I mean, okay, Doc Ock's motivation I could see as being like... a crazy scientist. Right, and she wants she to see... Just, right, right. She wants to see where this goes. It. She wants to see where this goes. Okay, okay, I, I understand. If I'm Tombstone... Tombstone, as a character, who I love, by the way, and I hope they bring him into the real Spider-Man, the live-action ones, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a gangster. I want to make money. I want to spend money. I want sexy women by my side, and I want to shoot shoot guns and exercise my tombstoneness. I can't do that if there's a possibility this, this whole planet is going to be destroyed. I don't care how much money you're being paid. Money means nothing if you're not alive. So, well, yeah. But they weren't all that. They weren't depicted except for Doc Ock, and they give the only the only one that really the only, two of them basically had a brain of a mind of their own, or were depicted with minds of their own, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there was a Prowler, and there was Doc Ock. Doc Ock, was, yeah. the, her motivation was that she just she was she was a wacko who just wanted to see if it would work, yeah. wanted to see it happen. So that's her motivation. So like it's the same as the, the equivalent again. Of the Joker, yes. like, you know, just totally. I just, just wanted yeah. to watch the world burn. Totally you know? understood, yes. 
And uh, the prowler basically gave his reason, which was, I need to pay the bills, you know? So he might not have been thinking of it on that level. He might not have been He might also not have been on the inside as much. But Tombstone no. was his right-hand man. You know, Scorpion was his right-hand man. I mean, they're there. But they might not have, they might have just, I mean, they yeah. might not have understood the, the, the consequences of what they were doing. Well, that's, I guess, you and know? that's why I ask who has the best villain, because I don't I don't think Spider-Verse comes through. I think one villain we're not talking about, though, is Michael Keaton's Vulture, which I thought was actually a fantastic villain. Um, he, was a, he was a good villain, but again, <sighs> villains are, the reason I like Doc Ock is because they kind of, they kind of got away with both aspects of the comic book villain trope. Yeah, because they made, they explain his motivation mm-hmm. and s- try to sympathize, you know, make him sympathetic. But then they, but then they, they had their, they got their way because they made him crazy. Yeah. So then he was also evil that needed to be stopped. So right. could, that movie could have ended either way. Like you know, Spider Man could have been like, "Well, I got no choice. I got to kill this guy," and yeah. you would have understood. Yeah. Or I could redeem him. And you would have understood yeah. because they went for insanity. He was yeah. a good guy, and because of the, the you know, because of the the, the the traumatic circumstances that caused him to be Doctor Octopus in the first place, he lost his noodle. Yeah, and so he didn't even realize he was doing. He was he was on the wrong side. You know, he was mm-hmm. he was just a tunnel vision. The the the, the problem, and then you know, they did the same thing with Kingpin. This was the problem with the MCU, uh, the, the the Daredevil. Yeah. television show because they humanized uh, well they didn't really humanize it they didn't make um, Kingpin too sympathetic but they they developed him to such a point where you understood where he was coming from yeah but the problem is it kind of made him it kind of made, made him insufferable yeah because like he you know it, it just you knew so much about him that you knew that he was basically defying his own moral compass just to get what he wanted. Yeah. And it was, it, it just, after a while, it just made him despicable. Now, he's supposed to be despicable because he's a villain. Right. But the the other the other dynamic that worked against it is because it took 12 hours, yeah. basically, for yeah. Daredevil to get around to getting him. He was just someone that I just couldn't stand seeing on a regular basis. I, I know well, I'm unique to that. Now you, now, you got him in a, now you get him in the Spider-Verse movie. Huh? Now you get him in the Spider-Verse movie. Yeah, but he was like, okay, he it was better. A villain, the, the good thing about the Spider-Man villains is that they're so audaciously gimmicky that you can one-note them. Yeah. The, 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 mm-hmm. you, could, you could argue the same thing for the Batman villains, but the Batman villains are all, they're, they're all facets of Batman's personality. They're all like offshoots of Batman's mm-hmm. personality. Um, Writ large, yeah. so basically, you they, you could you could imbue them with a lot more nuance. Sure. Spider Man villains are just kind of ah, this really shitty thing happened to me, and I'm mad about it, and I got a gimmick, and I got electric you know bolts that come out of my hand, right. or you know I I got a I got a hovercraft, and I'm just gonna go around. I mean, the Green Goblin, once he killed the board of directors of of Oscorp, he, he was done. Yeah. He didn't need to continue to be a villain. So I mean, they, Spider-Man Village work is a one note. So the 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 incredible. It's interesting you say that. Actually, it's interesting you say that. And and we want to we we definitely want to get to the actual individual movies in a second. But Spider-Man's the one. It's such an insular love of the character. It's always the struggles that Peter Parker is going through are always the most fascinating thing, and. To me, it was always the gimmick of the villain was always the most fascinating thing, but not the villain itself, not the villain's motivations. Like Mysterio, like I'm literally staring up at my my wall right here, and I have a uh, a picture of Spider-Man punching Mysterio, and it's like it's cool because Mysterio could do could do cool things. Uh, Vulture could fly. Doc Ock had his arms. The lizard was a giant lizard, which was cool. Craven was a hunter. You know, it was always their gimmick was was the interesting part about the villain, not the motivation. But That's then, the problem with the MCU that everybody's always complaining about is that the villains aren't nuanced enough. But the Marvel villains, yeah, I mean, not so recently. I mean, all their main characters had their own pathology. Like yeah. Wolverine is his own worst enemy. Cyclops can't use his can't open his eyes yeah. without blasting all his friends. I mean, all their all their 
the, the reason that DC uh, characters needed to have nuance to them, their mm-hmm. villains need to have nuance, is because their heroes are one note. Yeah. You know? Superman is just the infallible god. Wonder Woman is an infallible mm-hmm. Amazon. You know? Uh, Batman, I mean, Batman has the most nuance given to him. Yeah. But he's basically, he knows it all. He's going to figure it out. He's, he's, he's the biggest brain in the DC universe. Yeah. So their villains have to have all this miraculous, you know, uh, 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 intricate color yeah. added to them so that they can make, they can become interesting. It's the reverse in the, in the Marvel universe. Yeah. Because all their heroes have a pathology. Yeah. And so their villains get yeah. to be one note. Like Killmonger, what did Killmonger want? Killmonger was just mad he didn't get to be raised as a prince. And he had, you know, he had a... He, he was Michael B. Jordan. He's, in, he's, in, he's Michael B. Jordan. He's in every single film. Yes, that's what he's he had going a, for him. He's going to host a show next week. All right. As we, if you're, <laughs> if you're uh, viewing us on Facebook, again, go to facebook.com slash secrets of the sire. Uh, comment in here. I want to know your, uh, your rank of all the Spider-Man films. We're going to do that in a second. Uh, we'll be answering your comments as they happen as well, too. So check us out on there. YouTube.com slash secrets of the sire. And uh, even on Twitter, if you go to at Michael underscore Dolce, which that will change in the in the in the coming weeks, so you can uh, check us out there and you can get us some comments there. So we will be we'll be addressing what it is, but really fast because then we got Young the Giant coming up right next. Um, give me your order. Can we agree that the um, let's say the best. Um, Spider-Man movie, or sorry, best Spider-Man movie. Sorry, let's let, let, can we agree the worst Spider-Man movie is the um, Spider-Man three? No. Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man two. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I can live with that. I can totally live with that. I am. I am completely all right with. I can live Spider-Man with. Spider-Man three is not a great movie, though. It's not. No. But it's not as bad as Spider-Man, the Amazing Spider-Man Two. Okay, all right. So that's that's good. That's uh, that. I think I think we're we're in agreement to that, and uh, and I'm and I'm perfectly okay with that. Oh, so. awesome! Well, the show's gonna end. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, most likely it will. Um, what is the film after that, though? I mean, are we going Amazing Spider-Man One as like the not as good? Uh, it's between Amazing Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 1, in my personal opinion. I think Spider-Man 1 is a little better than Amazing Spider-Man 1. Okay. I can, I can, I can see that, and I can, I can kind of agree with that. What's the next one? So we've got the only ones left. So let's say the bottom three, Amazing Spider-Man 2, Spider-Man 3. Then you said the first Spider-Man, or you said the... What did you just say? The sp- first Spider-Man, or did you say the Amazing? You said you said what was next up. So basically, Amazing Spider-Man Two is the worst, as far as I'm concerned. Then Spider-Man Three. Um, I will I will grant you that Spider-Man Three is the second worst. Yeah. Followed by Amazing Spider-Man One. Yeah, I agree. And, and then, then and then Ama- and then Spider-Man One, right? And then Spider-Man One. Spider-Man One or Homecoming? Because I think Homecoming's next in the list. You think Spider-Verse? We've got no. Homecoming. We've got Amazing Spider-Man 1 we just said. We've got uh we've got Homecoming left, Spider-Verse, Spider-Man okay, homecoming 2. Homecoming is after after Amazing after Spider-Man 1. Yeah, I think so. Fair enough. I think so. And then finally, we'll wrap it up with um do you give it Spider-Verse or do you give Spider-Man 2? Tough one. Very tough one. Um I think Into Spider-Verse is probably one of the best animated movies I've seen since Transformers a movie in mm-hmm. 1986. Okay? Um, me personally. And I, it's weird because I'm a cartoonist and I don't I don't like a lot of animated movies. I'm not um, a big animated movie guy. But I think this movie was fantastic. Just the just the look of it, the the yeah. you know, the story in, in, in and of itself. Um, but I had a I got a soft spot for Spider-Man 2. 
Okay. Spider-Man Two really won me over. No, I think Spider-Man Two is is one of is one of the most complete and perfect superhero movies, not just Spider-Man. And I think they nailed pretty much almost everything that you can in a Spider-Man film. I don't love Tobey Maguire in the role um, compared to you know what we what we've seen come after. But I, you really, I mean, in terms of a popcorn summertime superhero beginning, middle, and end. I don't, think, I, don't th- I don't think you can beat it, right? You know, you know, it's another one of those situations where it's subverted expectations. But it's subverted expectations in the right way that didn't kind of ruin the entire genre. Yeah. Because in the second movie, you you figure, if you, grew, if you grew up in the 80s and the 90s, you figure that who is, who is Spider-Man, the secret of his identity, is going to be one yeah. of his through lines, it's going to run through the entire series. And until some kind of big cataclysmic event happens... Nobody's gonna get to know who the heck this guy is until until there's some kind of huge shakeup. Yeah. And the fact that in the second movie, Mary Jane finds out that he's Peter Parker, so we can stop, you know, pulling this will will they or won't they yeah. nonsense and just get down to Spider-Man. It's the same. It's the same problem with the end of uh, the Dark Knight, where the end of Spider-Man Two promises, okay, we're done with this this kind of you know, this, this fledgling romance. Sure. They're together. And the next movie is just going to be about the pitfalls of being Spider-Man and having a relationship and trying to become an adult, right? Yeah. And then you get Spider-Man 3 with, uh, with you know, Clayface and, well, you know, uh, no, Sandman. Sandman and, right. uh, and his bad Venom, you know? And you're like, all right, well... They didn't really deliver it, just like you got the Dark Knight Rises, where so suddenly it's eight years later, mm-hmm. even though it was they set it up so at the end of uh, the the Dark Knight, he was Batman was going to be the villain, and you know they they pinned all the crimes of the Joker and, uh, and Two Face on him at the end of the movie, right? And so it was going to be you know, and then you find out he retired and he was he's been gone for eight years and his legs don't work anymore, and he's you know, yeah. you're like, what happened? You promised so much. And he didn't give it to us. But I think the promise at the end of Spider-Man 2, that's one of the first movies of modern era that I really, I couldn't wait for the next one. Yeah. Like, I was like, all right, I want to see where they take this. Yeah. And, you know, and then we got Spider-Man 3 with jazz hands and and all that stuff. So, I mean, (laughs) unfortunately, (laughs) you know, it is what it is. You know, but uh, I would, it's, it's, it's a, it's a tough call because Into the Spider Verse, I really thought, was amazing. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it all the way through. I didn't find it compromised in the least, you know. And I'm not—that's not a counter to your to your to your earlier comment. I'm not talking about like, you know, all the social issues and stuff like that. I just thought right. that the story in and of itself was well done. Yeah, it, I don't. I don't think it, it cut any. It didn't cut corners it didn't pull any punches i mean he killed off his own spoiler alert they <laughs> afraid they killed off one of you know yeah they they, killed, they weren't afraid to to go there to to be a serious movie yeah as well as a cartoon yeah so um i i i and i, and I have to see it again yeah. You know, I mean, I really want to see it again. I really want to go to the theater and see it again. I don't want to wait for it to come in a home video and, and, and watch it in my living room. I want to go to the theater and see it again. So that says a lot. But I still have a really soft spot for uh, for Spider-Man 2. So it's gonna that's going to have to be my favorite. All right. I think, that's, uh, I think it's pretty fair, and I think uh, I'll take it. And uh, we have to get to the amazing interview. From Young right. the Giant, Francois. Um, I got to interview him over the summer, so this is coming from the summertime. Uh, he's in town to play a festival um, that you might know them from uh, My Body and Cough Syrup, where they're big hits. They have a new album out this time, but I got to ask him some cool questions um, besides just playing the festival and being in New York. But uh, we got to talk about the new album a little bit and got to ask him their pop culture guilty pleasures while on the road. So this is Francois from Young the Giant. I just released a new single, um, you know, Simplify. And talk to me about the single. Talk to me about the lyrics. It, 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 you know, hearing the song, there's a, 
it's, it's funny. The title kind of kind of signifies the mass appeal quality to the music. It seems to be a very good blend. Um, but talk to me about the, the song itself and, and what it kind of represents for you and what it means for the next album that you guys you mentioned you're finishing up. Sure. Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, the, the themes that we sort of explore in that song are definitely uh, themes that you're going to see touched on quite a few times on this record. Um, you know, the last album was definitely it was more about looking out and and sort of trying to make a statement about the world around us. And this time, is, this album is definitely more introspective. Uh, you know, three of us have gotten married in the past year, so there's a lot more. That's a life change. Uh, <laughs> That's a yeah, life change. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, big, very, very rock and roll. You know, I'll just get married. Uh, but yeah, we we just sort of I think are turning our eyes towards our own lives and the relationships um, sort of makes them so special. And I think a lot of people in general right now, there's just so much, um, so much just sort of focusing on the things that are important in your life and that you can, you can count on. Um, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of that on this record. And then uh, also we've we recorded quite a few of these songs uh, uh, live, which is something that we hadn't really done. Uh, just the first one, the first album, uh, and it, it leads to kind of, I think, songs that don't don't get overbaked and overthought. It's very easy to sit in a studio and and try every single studio trick uh, and, and try everything 20 different ways. And when you're sure. playing a song, a song with, with the, you know, the guys in your band and you're looking, you're watching each other, you kind of have to trust that what you're, you're putting tape is going to gonna be the thing, you know, the song. So, yeah. Um, there, there is definitely that sort of quality on the record. You know, so you mentioned, you know, three out of the four guys just ended up getting married. Uh, you know, how does how does that influence the songwriting and how does that influence, um, you know, like, like I'm a writer and I do all kinds of things and, you know, I have, a, I have a son and it, you know, having a son all of a sudden made me super focused on the time that I have because, you know, when you're single, you have all the time in the world. So how does, how does, how does it, how is it, influence you guys in terms of just being productive and songwriting and, and just in general? Uh, I think it definitely changes your, your perspective a little bit. Um, in some ways, it feels like sort of a new chapter uh, of our lives, and that already is going to be just filled with inspiration. Um, also, it, it takes a relationship that ideally has already been maturing and growing over over the years and it really brings it to that next level and uh, it's something that I hadn't experienced before and uh, you know, I know Samir and, and I have both uh, when we're, we're talking about lyrically like what does that mean to actually know someone that well and to have that person know you that well and there's something very vulnerable about it but also very liberating uh, so yeah I think he's just kind of is a really deep well for inspiration um, you know, um, yeah, absolutely. I think we're just starting to just starting to tap it. So let me let me ask you, you. Your first record, you know, came out. Uh, you know, uh, my body was was a was a big hit. Um, there was definitely that album was very well received. Um, you know, how hard is it to replicate that initial, um, you know, energy? Because you know, when you're a band trying to make it, I mean, I remember you know doing the band thing like 10, 15 years ago, and it was like you know, there's there it, it's just such a different component to when you're actually a professional musician going and touring and and you have crowds and you have this audience. Um, the music is 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 different. Um, you know, are, do you ever try to recapture what you guys did on that first record to 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 maybe you know appeal to to that same audience or or you know does it even enter your mind when you get in the studio uh not no i i wouldn't say we really think about that too much um i think if anything trying to capture something like that is is going to yield something really stale um and if there is something that is really important and it's just keeping that same energy from the first record and the second record when it's like oh now we we have to make we have to write another full-length album and then the third record where it's, it's exciting because you feel like you're really starting to come into yourself as a writer and now the fourth record brings its own challenges so i think there's always you can always tap into some sort of energy uh, but it's got to be appropriate for, for the time and for where this album is in your career um and you know it, 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 it has to be fun for us you know, i think if we kept on going to the studio and, and trying to recreate things that we've done in the past it would 
really become a, a bummer <laughs> very quickly. Yeah, uh, so yeah, absolutely. And our, our favorite musicians are, are always uh, those who are able to push their sound and their style and, and evolve over you know, the course of their careers, and that's something that we definitely seek to, to do ourselves. That's terrific. Um, sorry, you can hear my son in the background here. Um, <laughs> um, are you already um, in the band into, like, the comic book movies? Are you into uh, comics in general? Or, or, you know, are you big Netflix guys? Uh, do, you, do you have time to really consume that kind of content? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have plenty of time on the bus. Um, I, I grew up a pretty big uh, X-Men fan, so I've been... Uh, you know, just the, the since since we started coming out with Sex Ten movies, I've been pretty happy even with the with the less than stellar ones. Um, I actually thought Rogan <laughs> was such a, a great great way to cap it off, um, uh, cap off that series with, uh, with with at least with Patrick Stewart and uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Hugh Jackman's uh, versions of those characters. But yeah, I mean, we're definitely uh, we we are big consumers of pop culture, and I think uh, you know what's so great about being kind of creators in some way of pop culture is you can be informed by the things around you and it's, it's such a golden age of, of television and you know, even film is still pushing the boundaries in a lot of ways so um, we're, we're definitely paying attention to that. Uh, did you get a chance to see Infinity War yet? Any thoughts on that? I haven't actually. That That's the one that sort of passed me by. The last few movies that I got to see were... Uh, the most recent Deadpool and then Hereditary, and I haven't made the time yet for Infinity Wars, but I, it's on the list for sure. It's on the list. Uh, what kind of TV are you guys uh, consuming these days? Uh, well, we were watching a bunch of World Cup. I'm actually driving up to... <laughs> um, my, my wife is Brazilian, so I'm, I'm an adopted Brazilian. There you fan. go. I was watching that game, and unfortunately they just got knocked out by Belgium uh, Ten minutes ago, so oh, I don't no. know. We'll have to find something else. I mean, yeah, I'll still watch. I'll watch the the games, but I'm not. I don't have the uh, the vested interest anymore. I need to change out of my Brazil jersey. Actually, uh-uh. um, I don't want. <laughs> I don't want a bunch of jeers. Um, yeah, I, you know, we we definitely kind of watch whatever um, on the bus. We have our the old standbys. Like we still watch a lot of stuff. <laughs> Um, South Park is great. <laughs> South Park is yeah, great. Yeah, whatever ends up, you know, whatever ends up on the the DVR and, and, and pass the time. What when are you guys expecting the new album to come out? Uh, so we're hoping to have it just done within the next like month, and then I think probably um, it'll be out. The whole album will be out around October, and we're still trying to figure out how we want to tease it, and you know, maybe release one or two more tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and gather up a whole bunch of content. We have a music video for Simplify coming out, I want to say, next week. Um, so it's, it's kind of that really exciting point where, like, the record is almost done, and now it's about sort of thinking how how you're going to share it with, with everyone, which uh, we always want, want to kind of do it a little differently every time. So we're figuring that out right now. Do you guys have a, a title for it at, at this point, or, or is that still in, up in the air? That's still kind of up in the air. We're, we're sort of... Uh, kind of vacillating between a handful of them and we're starting to get some artwork and um, we have a few sort of really strong themes that we want to to focus on. So I think we'll just wake up and get into a meeting together at some point and it'll be like, okay, this is clearly the winner right now. But uh, <laughs> as, of, as of right now, there's still a couple. Terrific. Well, safe, safe travel, safe driving. Uh, again, I really appreciate you taking time out and, uh, you know, looking forward to the, to the, uh, to the festival. Yeah, my pleasure. Talk to you later. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. That was Young the Giant. Uh, if you guys notice, we're a little bit long tonight. That's because we're 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 streaming from the ethos of the internet. It's really great. But what we do every week, besides just talk about comics, movies, TV, and pop culture, we go spinning the rack. Spin the rack. Spin the rack. Wait, wait. All right, we bring in the most fantastical pop culture news of all times. All right, Netflix versus Disney is escalating. Oh, dear goodness. Uh, Apparently, there is a war brewing. ABC executive Chinning Dungy moved from ABC over to Netflix, uh, and it is... Signals a new front in the Reed Hastings battle with Bob Iger in the run-up to the Mouse House Digital. This is from Hollywood Reporter. 
Uh, analyst Todd Junger of Bernstein figures that Netflix will spend $11.9 billion in 2019 on content and $14.5 billion in 2020 on content. Uh, but the 22% year-over-year increase will be easily manageable because Netflix adds more than 25 million subscribers each year. So this is in contrast to certain reports we got where Netflix was kind of hurting because they're investing so much money into everything that they're doing. But um, yeah, we'll see what that means. But this is the big part that I got out of this. I didn't realize this. Imitation is flattering following Disney's live-action Jungle Book, which grossed $966 million globally in 2016. Netflix picked up Maui. Andy Serkis' film based on the same uh, Rudyard Kipling story that was made at Warner Brothers, for example. Netflix also invested in developing comic book universes. They picked that they paid somewhere between 30 to 50 million for the Millarverse. Way to go, Mark Millar. You did you did good, bud. They also nabbed the rights to Rob Liefeld's Extreme Universe. I did not know that. So Rob Liefeld. Oh. <laughs> So, how well is the Extreme Universe known, though? How well is the Malarverse really known outside of stuff he did for Top Cow? So, I just want to remind everyone at Netflix: you can pick up the mainstream in stores right now, uh, and I get the rights back to that There's in a couple other, years. This other upcoming title called Epicenter. Epicenter. We'll, we'll, we'll tease that. Tease, my man. Tease. And The Sire Volume Two available now. Superhero forced by his own costume. All right, this has been a blast. Tune in next week uh, when we are going to be talking about Aquaman. But we're not just going to be talking Aquaman. We're going to do a review of the movie with as many fish puns as possible. And we're going to be doing it live at Funny Business in Nyack, New York. So if you're in the Rockland County area, come check us out. We're going to play pop culture. It's called Non-Celebrity Pop Culture Jeopardy with our live audience. We've got Lisa Hawkins from Valiant Entertainment going to give us some inside info into what they're doing. They've got some movie stuff. They've got some awesome things uh, happening. Uh, this has been fun. We'll see you next week.